Good morning, everybody. So good to see you. Welcome, welcome, uh, all of you. I'd love to have you take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Psalm 56. Uh, As we come to our time in God's Word this morning, we're going to come to a familiar topic, uh, and that is the subject of fear. When I am afraid, I will, I will what? Well, trust in the Lord. I will, what, what else do we do? Because we don't always trust in the Lord, do we? Sometimes when I'm afraid, I, well, panic, worry, allow fear to run over me, eat too much, work too long, want to run. There are a lot of things people do when they're afraid. We get to talk about that this morning. It's really the subject of the text, and one that I think is familiar to all of us, even if you're one of those folks who says, I'm not afraid of anything. I just want you to know ahead of time, I don't believe you. I just don't believe you. No, we chatted a little bit. I know there are things, I know there are things that, that, that you know, uh, that get your attention at times and cause fear to come. So I want to pray that God would help us. We'll pull out those sermon notes. If you haven't already, the Bibles are open. Let's step into God's word. Pray with me, please. Our Father, uh, thank you so much that your word speaks to us right at the places in life that, that, that we live. Uh, the, the wonderful and good times and the times that are stressful and difficulty, uh, difficulty comes our way. Would you help us now in the text in front of us? Help us to, to, to see how you met the psalm writer in a specific time in a specific area of need and how you will do the same for us. So thank you for this. Point us to Christ today, the one who is always with us. And we honor you today as our King and our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you look at the sermon notes in front of you, there are several elements of review, just kind of reminding you of things that we have been saying in our study of Psalms. We're looking at 10, as I mentioned this summer. We did 10 uh, several years ago, and we're wanting to think about different types of Psalms. There are many. And again, today, we're visiting a Psalm that is a Psalm of lament. And a lament is is an expression that things are not okay. This, this, something, something's wrong. Something, some laments are community laments. Things are not okay for all of us uh, as a group, a community. In this case, I think it's more of an individual lament. Lord, help me. I'm in trouble. This is not okay, and I'm afraid. So we're going to hear a psalm of individual lament. And I mentioned under the review section, the third bullet point, there are, there are four elements that are characteristic of psalms of lament. And you'll find them in today's psalm. I won't press on them as obviously as at other times, but all four of those are present in today's text. As the psalm writer says, man, I am in trouble here. Now, I mentioned in that paragraph called today's text that, that, that this psalm addresses one of the most basic elements in being human. That is, we're embodied souls. And what do I mean by that? I mean that there's, a, there's an interior part of us. That we say that's the, the real person. Okay, I got it. And then there's this body God has placed us in. Wonderful creation by God. And yet, and yet a body that has, oh my goodness sakes, it can get sick. If you cut it with a knife, it'll bleed. Uh, eventually, this body will die unless Christ comes and takes us to be with him first. Uh, these bodies are for here. They are, they're weak. They need sleep, some of you more than others. Uh, but, but, man, these are wonderful gifts from God, 
and yet they come with challenges, these bodies of ours. And emotions are part of this human experience. Emotions. There are emotions that sometimes make us feel happy. Sometimes we feel sad. Sometimes we're afraid. A whole lot of emotions come. We'd like to talk about that. We have a number of times as a congregation. Um, we, we referenced this book some time ago called Untangling Emotions, which is a wonderful look from a Christian angle at, at how we navigate this experience of emotions from a person of faith. It's got a great chapter here about fear. And it's just talking about walking with God as emotional beings and being honest with God about how we feel when things are great and when things aren't. But about fear, one of the things that that book says is listen to your fears. What do they tell you about what's valuable to you? Because when, when something we love is in danger, we sometimes get angry. Behind anger, often there's fear, fear of loss. Something's being threatened. But, but these emotions are very familiar to us. And so today, we come to a psalm full of emotion. And to, to, to ignore that, I think, would be to misread the text. So emotion is here. Now, I mentioned further in that little paragraph of introduction, and not only is this world beautiful and wonderful, and it is. The heavens declare the glory of God. At the same time, this world, this side of the Garden of Eden, and before heaven, there are dangers here. And there are things that make us afraid, that bring that fear response that we're all familiar with on some level. So wonderful and good, yes, and, well, dangerous and frightening. It's why when you send your kids out, you say, be careful of something. Whatever it is, you make it up. Uh, The cars or the bad guys or, you know, the bus or whatever that might run you down. We say, be careful, be careful, because there are dangers out there that we want our kids to know how to navigate. So I mentioned here, fear not. Fear not, the most frequently appearing command in Scripture. We'll talk about that more in a minute. I want to read the text right here, okay? So Psalm 56, I'll comment on the little superscription, the little part ahead of verse 1 in a moment. But starting at verse 1, down to the end of the chapter, God's word as we look together. So David, the psalm writer, says, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh or what can man do to me? All day long, they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life for their crime. Will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings, or some texts would say my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God. 
in the light of life. And again, if you are thinking of the movements that are familiar in a lament, all of them appear in some way here, but clearly the writer is, is in trouble. Now, I have three headings here to help us think through the text, and the first one uh, here has a blank in it, doesn't it? I, I put it this way, life is wonderful, God is good, and fear is normal. Normal. And I, I wonder how that feels for you to hear that. Because sometimes in communities of faith, people get the idea that to be afraid is necessarily a lack of faith. That a good, strong Christian is never afraid. And I, I would press back on that. Uh, you've, uh, as I mentioned, the part about being human, indeed, I think to be human is to experience the full range of emotions. And I think fear is a normal thing. In fact, some fear can keep you out of trouble. Isn't that right? Uh, it's, it's not a bad thing when you go down to Sunnyside Beach to where, where we're going to baptize people and you're going to cross a railroad track. It's not a bad thing to say, hey, kids, watch out for trains. You say that because you're afraid they're going to get run over by a train, which would be a terrible thing. So fear isn't all bad. Some of you who ever sat on top of like um, a playground set when you were younger and, and thought about jumping off, Fear can be a good thing. Maybe that would hurt. I remember thinking at the edge of how, part of our house where I grew up in, that it wasn't that, that far to the ground. And I remember thinking, I bet I could do it. And I never did because I was a fear, afraid of pain. Uh, the, and probably what would happen if other people in the house saw me do that, that would not go well either. But so fear, fear isn't all bad. Uh, if, I, if I hear a person say, I plan to live with no fear, I, I'm not sure that's a good thing. Because fear can be a gift from God to keep you from doing something or saying something stupid. Did you know that? So, so be careful about saying fearless. The Bible never calls you to be fearless. It calls you to be trustful instead of just fearful. Okay, But the goal isn't necessarily no fear. No, there are real fears that come, whether we're younger or even as we get older. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of illness. I'm afraid of death. I'm afraid of running out of money. I'm afraid something's going to happen to my kids. I'm afraid of all kinds of things. And now that that can become a problem, but it's not always a problem. So please hear me on that. Some fear is not a bad thing. But I want to say fear is is a normal thing. So I've given you five bullet points here, and I I want to talk about this even as we illustrate it from the text. But but David is afraid because of, well, what? Now, journey with me to the superscriptions. There's some uh, some discussion of those little lines that come right after where it says Psalm 56 in your Bible, where it says something about musical notation. You remember that Psalms really are, are intended to be sung. They're like music without the notes. And so sometimes there are musical notations that we're not familiar with anymore. But there are hints in here. Some people discuss whether, when these were written, when they were added. Are they part of the inspired text? So there's some discussion about these things. But if indeed there's some accuracy here, I just want you to glance with me at, the, at those lines from some of the Psalms in this area. Okay? So, for example, Psalm 51 identifies this as a psalm when Nathan the prophet went to confront David after he had sinned with Bathsheba. So that gives a very specific context, it would seem, for Psalm 51. Then you come to 52, 
Well, this references a time in David's life when this one guy, the bad guy, the Edomite, tells Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Okay, now, let me place this in David's life. You're familiar with King David. Well, before he was king, okay, he was a young guy. Remember, he used to keep track of of sheep for his dad. This is the early part of 1 Samuel, if you want to read about it. And then in 1 Samuel 16, David, as is, is a, is a young guy, is anointed king. You're going to be king. That's pretty amazing, pretty heady stuff for a teenager. And then in chapter 17, this wonderful moment where David shows up and there's this big guy, Goliath, and you know the story. David gets a rock and says, well, I don't know how to do a lot of things, but I know how to throw rocks. And he you know, uses his sling and knocks this giant down, pulls out his sword and hacks his head off. What a cool moment. Well, what a terrible moment to watch, but pretty cool in the history of warfare. That's David in 1 Samuel 17. Well, before long, this high spot kind of crashes because Saul, who's the current king, gets jealous of this young warrior and wants to kill him. And there's a big chunk of 1 Samuel that tells a story of Saul, no, really, hunting down David to kill him. And here's this young guy. In 1 Samuel 21, he doesn't even have a posse yet, you know, guys to hang out with him. He's running for his life. And there's a a description of of exactly what this superscription of chapter 56 talks about, where David sees Saul and his army after him, and he has nowhere to go because he goes to the Philistines. Those are enemies of Israel. It's like he, he goes to the bad guys. You remember anybody else in David's life who was a Philistine? Yeah, it's the tall guy that he just killed and hacked his head off. And he's now going, now there's some time involved between these. David sees no other choice but to go to the bad guys and just hide there. Because he doesn't think Saul will come over looking for him there. So he goes to the Philistines and somebody sees him and takes him in front of the head guy. How would you feel about that? You know, you just kind of took care of Goliath. And here you are without your posse. There's no posse yet. It's you. And as the story is told, David had to pretend like he was crazy. That was all he could come up with. He pretended like he was crazy. He drooled all over himself and laughed and acted like a, a crazy man to where the big guy says, get him out of here. I, I'm not short on crazy people. Well, he could have just as easily have said, well, you may be out of your mind, but I remember you cut his head off. He could have. So, so David, this was a terrible moment. If he hadn't been afraid on some level... Frankly, he wasn't paying attention, right? That would have been a normal reaction. Now, similarly, look at this, the Psalms that are here. So Psalm 57, uh, this is written, it says, from David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. Wow, 59. This is from when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. Man, this isn't so good. So, so he's writing this section of Psalms from very real circumstances of life. Now, they're different from yours. You wouldn't write the Psalm if you were going to write something about your life. It wouldn't sound like this. You wouldn't be saying, there are bad guys chasing me to kill me. You would talk about other things. Here's a problem in my life, God. Here's something that's not going well. Here's something I'm afraid of. It would sound different. But the, the, the tone, the issue at, would be the same at heart. Oh, God... I'm in trouble here, and I'm scared. I'm flat out scared. So David then, as you look at the text with me, he says, be gracious to me, O God. Man tramples on me all day long. An attacker oppresses me. Enemies trample on me all day long. They attack me proudly. And here's that moment when I'm afraid, 
I put my trust in you. So I, I, I think what David is doing here is making a statement saying, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to react. It's not necessarily how I automatically respond, but this is what I want to do. God, I, I want to trust you here. Now, I mentioned already that the, 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 the command, fear not, is the most frequently appearing command in Scripture. God says it, sends it to his angels. Fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. All the way through the Bible. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, I want to ask you here, as I have here in front of you, a second bullet point. When God says fear not, what do you hear? Can I ask you that? What do you hear when God says fear not? What, what tone do you hear from the voice of God? Is he, is he angry? Is he saying with clenched teeth, for goodness sakes, child, have I talk, not told you a hundred times, stop being afraid. What more do you want? Is, is that what you're hearing from God? Is he frustrated with you? Because you still don't, don't have it figured out, for goodness sakes. Is that it? Sometimes people hear somebody else's voice at that moment, or a tone. Or they assume God must be, be angry at me, or disappointed in me, because I'm not, as we would say, I'm not stronger right now. I'm wondering, what do you hear when you hear fear not? Well, I think, I think if you press back against God speaking to us through clenched teeth. I think you're right. I don't think he does. I think this is a, 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 a call from a loving father to his dear children. I don't think he's hitting something, pounding. I don't think he's shouting at us. I think he's, he's saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Same thing you tell a child at night when they're scared. I already checked under the bed. There are no boogeymen. In fact, I've never seen one. But don't be afraid, child. Don't be afraid. I love the tone in the text I've given you here, Luke 12, 32. This is, these are the words of Jesus. This is in the paragraph. It shows up in Matthew as well, where Jesus is saying, don't be anxious for things. You, by worrying, you can't add an inch to your height, can't add a year to your life. So don't be afraid. And, but he says in Luke 12, 32, and please get this. Hear the tone. He says, don't be afraid, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid, little flock. No, I think there's a kindness here. Dear child, listen, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I think God is coming alongside in those words repeated so often in kindness, in mercy, gentle and lowly, as some of you have read the book. That's, that's what I think God uh, presents to us of himself. Don't be afraid, little one. Don't be afraid, child. Don't be afraid, dear Dear flock, little flock. Now, I, I want to talk about a number of things here, right? This is a good spot to introduce it, I think, more later on that. Some of us experience fear in little doses. Um, man, that car missed you, swerved and missed you by six inches. Man, that would have been a terrible accident. So there's a moment of fear. For other people, there are bigger moments of fear. There are people in our church, some here, I'm sure, who struggle with fear on a bigger level, maybe due to a life circumstance or, or some past thing that's come your way. You've been a victim of trauma or crime at some point in your life. You've been in the military. You've known fear on a level that many others haven't. You're a first responder. In some other time and circumstance, there were moments when you had to bury your emotion to stay alive. And you did. You did it. And then later, those emotions bubble back up. And we experience fear, some in panic moments or panic attacks, some with PTSD. Uh, I, I have 
at times, not often, fortunately, heard people who don't get that, who don't understand it, kind of say, man, these, just, just trust God more. Please don't ever say that to a person who really struggles with fear. It's a very unkind thing to say. And if you haven't experienced that kind of thing, you don't know. Okay? You don't know. You might think you do, but you don't. So for those of us who've ever had a moment where, where your body reacts to, to fear that isn't presently here, if you, if you haven't experienced that, just be kind to those who do. Because really there are many, men and women, who experience these times of, of, of intensity. So, so kindness, the voice of God, not saying, oh, stop it. But God saying to us, in whatever type of fear you experience, I'm with you. I'm with you. I care about you. Fear not, dear one. So hear the, hear the tone that God has. I put here as well in that second bullet point. Please get this. I didn't know where else to put it. A, a caution to all the logical people out there. There are different people in this room. Some are more in touch with their emotions, or may I say, maybe even too much so, maybe even emotionally driven. That's another topic. But there are also logical people out there who, who, who want to help those of us who sometimes struggle with fear. So here's what they do. Okay, let's just say a person um, at times is afraid driving in a car. Uh, one of my family members um, was a, never wanted to get her driver's license because it was just too scary to think about making those decisions. Went her whole life, her whole life without, without driving a car. It was too frightening. So along comes a logical person saying, let me help you out. I've studied the model of car that you have, or read the owner's manual, and I can list for you all the safety features. Isn't that good news? Here's how the safety restraints and the airbags work should there be a terrible accident. And I've checked the statistics in your area. Chances of you being in a horrible accident are very small. So listen, there's all the logical facts, so fear not. Tell me how that works. Yeah, if you're the more emotional one or at times experience fear and you're married to a person that's all logical, sometimes there's a little rub this way. Airplanes don't fall out of the sky that often. What are you afraid of? Yeah, but if they do, I know, but you'll go quickly. Don't just think about it. Uh, it won't, you, the suffering won't last long. Well, that makes me feel better. No, sometimes logical people think that fear can be solved by just presenting the facts, ma'am, just the facts. And I'm just saying here, if you're that person, be kind. Because you will rarely help a person who struggles with fear by presenting the facts. Can I get an amen? No, you don't have to. I know, I know. You know how that works, especially if you're a person who struggles with fear. So I ask you here another question then. When David says in verse 3, I put my trust in you. What does he mean? When I'm afraid, I think this is a a commitment. Lord, this is what I want to do. It's how I want to react. I want to trust you. What am I trusting Well, he spells a few things out in verse 4, and again, it's repeated, of course, down in verses 9 and 10, in God whose word I praise, in God himself, in God I trust, I'll not be afraid. What can flesh or what can a person do to me? He's, He's thinking about God's word, what has he said? He's thinking about what God is like, that he is good and compassionate and kind, that he indeed will never leave us nor forsake us. We're remembering at that moment things that are true about God. What has he said? How has he cared for me in the past? Those are things I think that David is drawing to mind. Of course, with the answer to the question, what can a person do? What can a man do to me? What's the answer to that? Well, he can kill you, which could be a concern. But David is aware of the limit. This guy, all he can do is is maybe, you know, cut my head off or something. That'd be the worst thing. After that, he can't touch me. Similar to the words of Jesus, don't fear the one who can 
just hurt your body or kill your body. Fear rather the one who can send both soul and body to hell. Yes, Jesus said, fear him. That is fear God more than you fear this guy. All he can do is kill you. Worst thing can happen is the plane will crash and you'll be with the Lord. How bad could that be? Well, okay. That's the idea here. When I'm afraid, I'll put my trust in you. Now, my fourth bullet point before we move to the next section here. Again, I just, I really want you to hear this, please. Here are a few examples of, I would say, hundreds. The tip of the iceberg in scripture about the theme of God's presence with his people. God's presence with his people. His fearful people when that's the case. So Psalm 23, do you remember this? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That's why I fear no evil. I know I'm confident your presence is with me in this. Um, Isaiah 40, I gave you Isaiah 40 because we've just studied Isaiah this past ministry year. And Isaiah 40 is where you hear the voice of God say, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Uh, say to Israel, cry out to, 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 to Israel or Jerusalem and say to them, your warfare's ended. It, the, the battle's over. Okay, you, comfort. He gives comfort. Uh, Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And then, of course, Psalm 56, 9, right here where we see God is for me. God is for me. Now, on this issue of the presence of God, uh, you can find issues, elements of this all the way from Genesis to Revelation. God's tabernacle placed right in the midst of the, of the nation of Israel when they camped in the, in the wilderness, remember? That's where the tabernacle went. It was right in the middle. The presence of God right among them. You remember uh, Exodus 33, where there's been a mess and sin and uh, Ten Commandments broken and all those other things. And God says, I'm going to send you up there and I'm not going to go among you. And Moses says, no, no, no. If your presence does not go among us, we're not leaving. You must go among us. Be God among us. Uh, Psalm 73, David says, as for me, the nearness of God is my good. It is good for me to be near God. Another translation says, uh, the great commission. You're going into all the world, make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them. And lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And if you skip ahead, of course, to the book of Revelation, where is God? Where is he? He is with his people. He's among them. God himself will be among them. Be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Jesus, of course, God tabernacling with us. So the presence of God with his people. Now, now listen, here's, here's a place where we get it wrong. I, I, I do too. Okay, there's a moment when God's people, Israel, are in the desert and it's not going well. And they ask this question. It's a question you've asked. Is God among us or not? Why did they ask that? Here's why. It's because things weren't going well. And they had the assumption that if God was among us, it would be easier. The food would be better. Life would be nicer. If God were among us, it shouldn't look like this. And they were missing something, weren't they? No, God was among them. His presence was there in the midst of the desert. They were right where God had intended them to travel at the moment. They were there, and God's presence was there. And we sometimes think as well, if, if, if I'm living before God, if God sees, it shouldn't look like this. And you're taking your words right out of the Old Testament. If God is among us, it should look better. Okay, not necessarily. Not necessarily. 
You might be right where God wants you to be, and it hurts like the dickens. And it's a moment for you to cry out to God, even here, oh God, help, help. More on that in just a moment or two. The refrain, of course, repeated. So this first section, verses 1 through 4, life is wonderful, God is good, fear is normal. I want to move to verses 5 through 7 as you turn the page. In our fears, I'm saying it is right to appeal to God for justice. So verses 5 through 7 are that. It's that section of a lament where there's a call for action. God, do something. Now, it's very specific to David. He says, all day long, they injure my cause. Their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps. They've waited for my life. For their crime, will they escape? There's his description. And his call for action is that last phrase. In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. In other words, God, you see the bad guys? Get them. Just get them. Uh, now, sometimes there are gidums in the Psalms that trouble people. They end up saying, shouldn't he be saying here, God bless him? That's only if he's from the South, uh, but God bless him all. No, he's, he's taught his enemies. It's a very, I think this is a reasonable thing. Injustice is taking place. I haven't done anything wrong. Bad guys are trying to kill me. Oh God, get him. That's not a bad thing to pray. And maybe for you, you might say, oh, dear, that just sounds mean. It's not mean. Okay? Um, When David was going to go fight Goliath, I bet he said, God, help me get him. He wasn't saying, God, help me hug him. It was the wrong day for that. This is a battle. So, God, help me get him. Well, here, again, there are bad people, bad people doing bad things. They're after me. Oh, God, get him, please. And I'm saying to us in our fears, it's right to appeal to God for justice. And he, this is really a short description. There are other longer ones in the Bible, but here's a, a short description of what the problems are. Here are these people, God. Now listen, sometimes people end up thinking that maybe it's lack of faith if I tell my problem to God. And may I say, wrong. No, it isn't, it isn't a problem if you tell your problems to the Lord. And you say, well, I know he knows them already. Why recount them? Because it's important to you and it's important to him. So go ahead and tell your problems to the Lord. God, here's this, here's this thing. Here's this problem. Here's this illness. Here's my kid. Here's my mom. Here's my dad. Whatever the thing is. Here it is, God. And spell it out. God is not bored. He's not there going, hey, you're on the clock. That's not it. You're not on the clock. Tell him. Call out to him. Cry out to God. Tell him all about it. And I'm saying it's not lack of faith. Rather, as I explain here, I think it is faith. Because you're appealing to God, believing that he's listening. You're believing that he cares. You're believing that he sees, that he cares about the problem. He knows what your real needs are. And that he's the answer to your problem. Otherwise, you wouldn't be praying in the first place. If you didn't think he cared or he, he couldn't do anything about it. So I'm saying to God's people... Come to him with your problems. Tell him about them. And, and there's nothing wrong in appealing to God for justice. I think that's exactly what David does here. And it's a good thing. And of course, I note in verse 7, when he says, In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. I think this is an appeal. It's a request. It's not a command. He's not ordering God to do something. And by the way, you shouldn't probably do that either. Order God, that is, to do something. You, know, you, you, you describe your problem. And feel free to make a suggestion here, but he'll, he'll take care of what really should happen. So I, I give that second section there, uh, that heading, in our fears, it's right to appeal to God for justice. Then I go to verses 8 through 13, 
where that the next couple of movements, I put them together here. What are the things that David remembers that is draws to mind and celebrates things about God? What does he remember about what God is like? Well, he's very specific. You've kept count of my wanderings or my tossing. God, you see me. You are very near to me. You put my tears in your bottle. My tears matter to you. There's some discussion in history. Were there really little bottles that people captured tears in? Well, perhaps, but certainly metaphorical here. God isn't zipping around with a big bottle, literally collecting everybody's tears. But it's as though David is saying, you are this close to me in my tears. You're that close that you could catch my tears in your bottle and record them in your book. That matters to God. That he, he, he sees and he cares. Some of us are good criers, meaning you don't have a problem crying tears at all. Others of us are less about that and maybe only cry alone. I understand. But whatever that cry of the heart, whether tears present or not, no, David is right. Lord, you see and you are near to me in this moment. And you know the circumstances. You, it's as though you jotted it down in a book, date and time. You're that, you care about me that much that you would see. Wow. He says, and my enemies will turn back in the day that I call. I know you're going to care for me, God. This I know that God is for me. God, I know this to be true of you. I know you're near. I know you're for me. I know you've given me words, scripture, that I can honor you about and through and with. I know these things are true of you. Interesting, Paul says the same thing as we'll read in a few minutes, Romans 8. Uh, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Similar thought right here. This I know, God is for me. So I put a number of things here on your sermon notes, bullet points. My suffering matters to God. And may I say, I think sometimes chronic fear is a form of suffering. I, I I think it can be. My suffering, my difficulty matters to God. Psalm 31 is the text that I've given you here. That's the one from which we've taken our our line here on our sermon art. Our times are in his hands. That's from Psalm 31. Our times, good times, yes. And our difficult times are in his hands. They're in his hands. God attends. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears attend to their cries. Psalm 34, verse 15 God is near. He is near. And then I mentioned my fourth bullet point here. Just kind of, I don't mean it as a complete aside. It's significant. This is one of the good reasons to know your Bible. Dear friends, it's one of the good reasons to know your Bible. So that in those moments of difficulty and suffering, your brain knows right where to go. What's true of God? What has he done before? Psalm 78 that we'll study next week is like that. Hebrews 11 is like that as well. Let's remember that God is trustworthy all the time. Psalm 56, I think the key phrase is certainly verse 3. That's the aspiration of the writer. When I'm afraid, I'll trust in you. I want to move to that let's talk section and say just a couple of things here. And I mentioned already the reality that sometimes our bodies can imitate fear reactions. And even when we're not immediately in danger, your body can respond later with the emotion of the moment of of fear or danger or difficulty. And I mentioned already, sometimes that applies to certain people, either emotionally type uh, wired or people who have been in certain circumstances, battles, warfare, uh, first responders. I'll I'll tell you one quick story where I I thought about that in a whole new way. Um, I was doing a ride along with our daughter who at the time Clark County Sheriff 
And it was late at night, and um, we got one of those, we, I, I was in the car. I, I didn't get any calls. She got a call uh, of, of something that was not good. I'll save you all the details. And we needed to go get a hold of somebody before he did something he would regret. So we were heading from one end of the county to the other pretty quickly. And uh, she knew the circumstances could involve a, a weapon. And so she called for others to, to meet us. And the moment came when you, you got the car and everybody's ready and bam, you do that moment where you kind of like on cops, there's the takedown moment. And I remember sitting in the front seat and this was the first time I'd been in the front seat watching my daughter through the windshield with her service revolver out, you know, doing the whole uh, pay it to hands on the steering wheel, the whole, the whole felony takedown, hands out, open the door, don't, 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 do not even think I'm going to, you know, and it was, it was kind of intense. And I was sitting there in the front watching this girl and going, that's my kid, uh, 45 or whatever it was she had. What could possibly go wrong here? Well, at the moment, I, I, I'm thinking of, of running. I'm thinking of, um, you know, it went, it went well. The person who was uh, being arrested at the moment, he was for his own good. He was having a bad night and they were keeping him from doing something that would have been really bad. So he, he followed all the orders, got out of the car, did everything they said, backed up, hands on the floor, you know, handcuffs. Did, he, he obeyed what he was supposed to. Nobody got hurt that night. Everybody went home safely. But there was a moment when I was sitting there going, huh, look at this. Wow. I sure hope he, I mean, I sure hope he doesn't do something bad. I mean, that's my girl out there. No, she's got a gun. She's a police officer. That's all right. But, the, the, but I, I felt again that sense of, Later, when you start running it through your brain, what if he had, wonder what happened if, where you play the tape later and then fear hits. And some of you know about that. At the moment, you have to handle it. Then later, your body reacts with fear. Oh, I understand this. That doesn't mean you're a sissy or that you're a bad Christian. Okay? It means you're a human. And God knows. Now, this book called Running Scared, Fear, Worry, and the God of Rest, we've used in our um, biblical counseling seminars as well. Really a good book. Um, Ed Welch talks about what's called the manna principle. I have found so helpful in my own life and as I share it with others. Basically, thinking of the Old Testament where God gives manna every day. You remember he gave enough for the day only, didn't he? He didn't give a week's worth, a month's worth, a year's supply. He did it so that every single morning you, you showed up with an empty bucket and said, God, if you don't meet me today, I don't eat. If you don't meet me today with grace for the day, I'm out. God lets you get enough in the manna for today, about a quart per person. No more. It'll spoil. And you, it, it, all these rules, it, it's a picture of God's kindness. And sometimes we get in a mess because we're looking ahead. We have grace for today, and we're worried about something tomorrow. When does God give grace for tomorrow? Yeah, and for goodness sakes, we want it now. Because what am I going to do? I don't, I don't know what I would do if this happened. How could I face this illness? How could I face this death? How could I face... Th- I just don't think I could. And the answer is, you're right. Not today. But when that day comes, God will give you the strength you need. He will. He will give you the strength you need. Uh, I think Bill Bright, Campus Crusade, I think, he, I think he's the one who talked about dying grace. Grace to die. Knowing that when that day comes... God will give you what you need that day, at that moment. He'll give you what you need. That's what you trust God for. I hope that's what you trust God for yourself. God, I don't know how I'm going to handle tomorrow. Don't know how I'm going to handle this financial thing or whatever problem. But I know that at that moment, you'll give me what I need. 
that moment. I'll come with my empty bucket and say, oh God, fill me up. Please give me what I have to have today to meet the needs of today. That is what our God does. Nowhere is that more visible than in the cross of Jesus. See, where Jesus bore our sin on the cross, bled and died for our greatest need, our sin problem. Um, I, I want to pray for us, and I'm going to uh, just make a comment from Romans 8, and together we'll remember Jesus. But I, I want to pray right at this moment, and then we'll, we'll take a few moments with communion, if you'd join me in this. Father, I thank you for being a God who sees our need and knows, and you meet us there. I'm so grateful. Thank you that you do not look down from heaven and say, what's wrong with these people? Uh, no, we're humans. Uh, as the psalm writer said, you're, you're mindful of our frame. You know that we are but dust. Yes, indeed, we are. And our Father, we need you so desperately. Thank you that you care about all of us, whatever our problems or needs today. You see, you know, thank you for Jesus who made that so clear when he died on the cross for our sins. We're grateful. So Father, now as we remember his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. Help us to see and treasure your great care, your great mercy. You are merciful and gracious. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we celebrate communion, uh, we welcome all of you who know Christ as your Savior to share with us in taking the elements. They are presented up here in front, these two stations in here. Uh, the cups are placed together, a little cracker in the bottom, so when you take one, you'll want to take both. And again, if you know Christ, you're your Savior, please join us if you would. This is a serve-yourself uh, type of a situation, for, as we currently have done. And we'll invite those on these sides to come down the outside wall and be served over here, and those in the middle, if you'd come down the middle that way, and then these aisles are the return pathways. Feel free to serve someone near you, a family member, or someone who's mobility impaired that is near you as well. Uh, we'll, we just would love to have you care for one another in that way. Bring those elements back to your seats. And in just a moment, I'll say a couple things and, and we'll be dismissed. But let's remember Christ together. Please come. you so much for that. David says in Psalm 56, this I know that God is for me. He is for me. How do we know God is for us? Well, Romans 8, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things. How do I know God is for me? I look to the cross of Jesus and there I see a savior, exactly the one I need, who has paid for my sin, offers me his righteousness because I have none. The righteousness of a perfect life he gives to those who come to him, pays for their sin, covers us with the righteousness of Christ. If God is for us, who can be against us? The cross is evidence of this. Little cracker points us to the body of Christ broken for us. Let's remember him together.
in this same paragraph, Paul asks other questions. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? Who is the one who can condemn? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And in all of these things, it comes right back to the word of God, truth evidenced in the cross of Jesus. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, principalities, powers, nor anything to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The little cup points us to the blood of Christ shed for us, a Savior exactly as we needed. Let's remember him together. Would you stand with me? Years ago, a little girl, one of our daughters, the night before a big storm, saw us hurrying around, getting ready for lights out and things, and she said, as the lights went out that night, as we turned off the switch, she said, Daddy, is the storm coming? What's the answer to that? Oh, yes. There's one tomorrow. And there's going to be one the rest of your life. (laughs) I thought about that. There's a storm coming indeed. And when I'm afraid, I'll trust in you. Father, thank you so much for the morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these dear people. Thank you that as we live in this world, all kinds of different circumstances represented in this room. Thank you for your abundant care. Help us in our times of weakness and difficulty, our times of sadness and sorrow, our times of fear. To say, oh God, help me to trust you today. Help me to trust you today. Grant me your grace to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.